From the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, this is the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Every week, our fellows chat with leaders in the technology and internet law and policy space on recent developments and exciting topics such as privacy, internet governance, cybersecurity, tech legislation, and more. I'm your host, Rima Musa, and I'm a member of the fourth cohort of Foundry Fellows. The Foundry is a collaborative organization for internet law and policy professionals who are passionate about disruptive innovation. For the last few weeks, our show has been covering the metaverse, what it is, how it's used in different industries, its privacy implications, and more. To end the Metaverse series, we hosted a conversation that dived deeper into a more challenging issue facing the Metaverse, trust and safety. The conversation features experts Jody Masters-Gonzalez, the founder and chief futurist of Humble Science, a For Humanity Fellow, and a For Humanity Certified Auditor. Nina Jane Patel, the co-founder and vice president of Metaverse Research at Kabuni, and Christina Podnar, the Global Digital Policy Advisor at the XR Safety Initiative. This conversation was moderated by Class 4 Foundry Fellows Lama Muhammad and Anuradha Harur. Lama is an associate at the Glen Echo Group, a communications and public relations firm specializing in tech policy, and Anuradha is a research analyst at the Digital Planet a branch of research housed in the Institute for Business in the Global Context at the Fletcher School. I'm Anuradha Herur, or Anu. Uh, I'm another member of the Foundry's Class 4 Fellows. I will be joining Lama this afternoon and moderating this panel. To start, I would like to ask our panels to define for our audience what a metaverse is. Um, Jodi, would you like to start us off? Sure, and I just want to say thank you for having uh, me here today. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on this panel alongside these uh, highly experienced experts in the field. Um, And I just want to say all all of the views are my own. So as a systems thinker, I conceptualize the metaverse uh, in its current state as a collection of virtual spaces or universes that are typically highly interactive, immersive, and uh, hyper-realistic. These universes are reimagining our in-real-life environments, and the gate to get in, or uh, we can also say they are facilitated by augmented virtual reality-enabled devices, Uh, From an ideological standpoint, the reimagining of society with decentralized authority and control uh, presents a whole host of trade-offs that are, on one hand, very appealing for Web3 enthusiasts, uh, but simultaneously open up an incredible new threat vector for bad actors interested in hurting us on a personal level all the way up to a societal level, including the deterioration of our public institutions, democratic practices, uh, destabilization of our economy, and ultimately possibly threat to national security. So it's pegged to be an uh, $800 billion market by 2024. So it's coming and I'm very excited about it, actually. Um, I'm excited about the ways in which these types of emerging tech can help society if we can get the trust and safety part right. 
So I can jump in if you'd like, Anu. You know, I, I agree with uh, where Jody's going with her answer. I very much define the metaverse as the merging of physical and virtual worlds where an action in one medium will translate to an outcome in another. Um, I would actually add to that definition that capabilities that we actually need to make the metaverse a reality, because I think a lot of times people tend to confuse Web3 and the metaverse. And so at XRSI, we don't treat them as the same thing. And we do believe that we will enter a new stage of the internet, which is the metaverse, through capabilities such as AR, VR, IoT, blockchain, NFT, um, 5G, increased hardware, like much better hardware than we have today, and a slew of other capabilities. And so while everybody touts in the headlines that we're in the metaverse today, we actually don't believe that we're there yet, although we are kind of barreling down that highway really, really fast. And uh, to answer Roger's question, who actually piped up already and asked if online banking is part of the metaverse, absolutely, Roger. Everything that is physical and virtual is morphed together at, into the metaverse. And yes, online banking exchanges the ability to buy, sell things, um, et cetera. And you know, as of a month ago, I think you could even get a happy meal um, also in virtual reality that will make up the metaverse soon. So all of that will be part of uh, the big metaverse bubble that we're talking about or the multiple components and worlds that all together make up the metaverse because it will not be a single metaverse but rather different environments that together make up the whole yeah and my um, vision of the metaverse is um, a digital environment in which we can dance with our pixels so it's a beautiful vision of, of stepping into the digital environment, the synthetic environment where from the top of our heads to the tips of our toes, we are engaging with our digital environment, the metaverse, an opportunity to um, connect with people around the world, empowered by technology and its enablers, uh, such as blockchain. Uh, but really, it's about the advancement of virtual reality, augmented reality, and as the technology, which is currently emerging, uh, improves and the fidelity increases, there's a real opportunity um, to engage in the world with, with the world in new and exciting and uh, unique uh, opportunities and, and, and ways. Um, and one of the, you know, those of the, there are parts of the world that are somewhat skeptic about the metaverse. And I do believe, and I think all of us on this call today do believe that the metaverse is coming. Uh, we're not quite sure what form or what, what will move most quickly and what will unfold first, but it is coming and it will change our lives. It will shift human behavior and it will cause massive disruption across every industry and in basically every aspect of our lives that we need to really begin to consider today uh, and really intelligently, intentionally integrate, even from today at this nascent stage, the technology into our lives in safe and responsible methodologies. Thank you all for those very astute responses. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, our audience is curious to know more about what uh, you, what do you believe that, you know, what is it about trust and safety that makes it, you know, what is it like as a profession? And uh, why, why do you believe that this is such an important field like in technology, especially, you know, uh, considering how quickly we're moving with, with technology these days? 
Well, I, from my perspective, um, and as the co-founder of Kabuni, which is a safe metaverse for children to learn, grow, and explore, um, we believe that in this next transition and next evolution of technology, we have to learn from the mistakes that we've made with Web 2.0 or Web 2 in the context of how we integrate the technology into children's lives specifically. And we're prioritizing innovation, uh, researching and developing technology to support the lives of children and meeting the needs of them, both from an educational point of view, but also from a long-term psychological and physiological uh, standpoint as well. Uh, and, and I believe, in, and I think there's, there's people around the world who believe that this time around, we need to protect children uh, because the metaverse is not a game. It's not just simply a form of entertainment. From here on out, it is a, a life-altering technology that does, and social media and the impact that we've seen now with, with children in, in integrating social media into their lives, it, it impacts their lives and their mental health. And we need to take responsibility that technology isn't just a toy. It's so much more than that. And it's, it's really impacting children and young people's lives and the impact will be significant in the future if we don't take action today. I would actually echo that. I completely agree that children must be educated. In fact, I feel like we don't necessarily need to create a separate metaverse environment to teach them. It should be part of everyday schooling, just like we're teaching keyboarding, if you can still believe it. Children learn keyboarding in seventh grade. And I'm wondering, why are we not teaching digital safety? As somebody who's been practicing in the digital policy space for well over two decades, I've been helping organizations, whether they're schools, whether they're large NGOs, whether they're corporations, it doesn't matter, understand the risks and the opportunity that digital builds and provides to the entire uh, globe. And so I think that we're very well aware of the fact that we've made mistakes, not just in the Web 2 world, but also in Web 1, believe it or not, right? Going back to crazy days where I can be very proud to say that I've done things like, you know, brought down the St. Jude website for eight hours at a time or passed credit card uh, numbers, you know, unencrypted to banks for processing. So I'm very proud to own my mistakes in the early days of the Web. But you know what? We hadn't even turned to, you know, the... 2000 plus era yet. So it was okay to be doing the crazy dance and the wild, wild west. I think I need to answer your question, which is really, what is it about the safety, trust and privacy role that's so important? First of all, you know, I call individuals who work in balancing the risk and opportunity of digital in their true sense, in their true forms, those that can actually balance those two things out. I call them digital unicorns. There's not many of them. There's probably 10 that I've seen so far in my lifetime that are roaming around. We'll see more of them as digital natives come into the workplace. But those are the folks that truly understand at its core, what are the harms and what are the opportunities that digital and yes, even this new metaverse technology set represent to us. And they understand explicitly that it's not just about you know, teaching or creating new opportunities for people to explore these technologies and not treating it as a toy, although I completely agree with the, with Nina that it's not a toy. I think it's about onboarding, right? I think along with everything else that we need to do, we need to actually understand how do we onboard as a society to these new technologies. And when I say onboarding, I don't just mean how do we introduce children into the metaverse and what they do, although that's certainly a significant aspect, but it also has to do with how do we onboard senior citizens? How do we onboard individuals who don't have access to data to the internet? 
I mean, I'm very, very privileged. I'm sitting in the Northern Hemisphere speaking to you from outside of Washington, D.C. on a highly stable network. Not everybody has that opportunity. Um, so I think that, you know, from an XRSI perspective, it's about safety. It's about privacy. It's about accessibility. It's about inclusivity and going even one more step further to equity. So it's not enough just to invite people into the metaverse and hope they can show up. It's about enabling them to show up and doing so in a way that's respectful of them and their human rights. And so I think that those uh, purple unicorns, if you will, are individuals who are taking on the uh, digital risk and opportunity balancing are the ones that will ensure that we have a metaverse that we're happy and profitable and also thriving in as citizens, as corporations and as entities. And I, 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 uh, I would build upon that and say, um, you know, as a futurist and researcher at Humble Science, I look at what the drivers are of this technology, right? And so, um, and that's why I like to remind our, um, folks and, you know, to look at the history and the ideology from where this is emerging from. And I do think that it is sort of this decentralized ideology that was in many ways driving um, the adoption and the enthusiasm of the early internet. And so when I look at that um, and I see what my and others like me, what our role is, um, we are, our role is that of like public guardians who exist to protect users from fraud, from harm, and other problematic behaviors that negatively impact users of these spaces. And, uh, and so going forward, you know, many tech companies use us to promote user confidence um, by establishing and enforcing policies for acceptable use and compliance. However, and here's the big however, <clears throat> which I think is what we need to get right from a policy standpoint um, is the, the degree to which we are truly empowered and duly authorized to act varies a great deal. So, um, uh, yeah, and I know we'll get to some of those points here in a minute. Thank you so much, all three of you. Those were some very, you know, wonderful observations on, on why it's important to be in this profession uh, of trust and safety uh, today. Sort of uh, segueing from, you know, what what you guys just said, I, I want to I want to know if you're, you know, there's like the number of companies that are sort of entering the metaverse is increasing and it's only going to increase. So, so how do you feel about this? Are you optimistic about this increase? Um, if you are, why are you optimistic about it? And if you're not, then again, why not? So. I'm balanced, right? To me, I think that there are so many opportunities, right? And I get up every morning and I'm so jazzed because, you know, I think that for years now, even though we're starting to talk about entering the metaverse um, and using AR and VR, these are technologies that have been around for a while now. And we've actually seen really great ways to use them. For example, I'm always impressed when I see UNICEF providing um, educational opportunities to nomadic children in the sub-Saharan desert, right? I mean, like that's a thing and they've been doing that for years now. And so I look at these new emerging realities and I say to myself like, wow, we have things like the right to education, uh, the right to culture and 
and arts, uh, the right to work. We have so much goodness that could come out of these new technologies. The thing that I am concerned about, though, in, in this moment of pause is because what I see is companies are just diving in, right? Everybody is really excited. They're claiming to be in the metaverse even though they're just using virtual or augmented reality at the moment, claiming to be in the metaverse. And what they're doing in the process is not paying attention to the uh, biometrically inferred data that they're collecting, right? So a lot of the things that are coming down the pipe with these technologies are things like the ability to capture your motion data, your gaze and eye tracking. Um, of course, like, you know, the facial expressions that we're all making at this moment, usage and interactions, the location proximity to other systems if you're in the same uh, area as somebody else. And so I'm very concerned that in addition to, you know, things like having harassment, which we've already seen um, occur in AR and VR, we're also talking about things that will fundamentally impact human rights, like the ability to basically you know, impede people's freedom of thought, the right to privacy, as we've been mentioning, things like ability to fingerprint a person or inferring uh, upon their rights to privacy with posture tracking, gait tracking, eye movement trapping, um, the right to, you know, take away people's reasonable work hours or holidays? What happens, you know, when an Accenture arm boards everybody into their environment using a headset and gathers information about how much attention people are paying versus not and ties their performance to that data? So wonderful, incredibly vast opportunities, but also a responsibility that I don't think enough companies are, and individuals, right? Let's extend that. It's not just companies, right? It's companies, it's educational institutions, it's about individuals, it's about parents, it's about citizens, it's about everybody, right? Everybody has a role in ensuring that we balance out the risks and opportunities and that we onboard citizens in an appropriate manner that allows them to thrive in the metaverse and doesn't impede on those human rights. Yeah, I, um, absolutely. There's a lot of questions that, that come up as, as more and more um, are developing strategies to enter the metaverse, whether that's from a business perspective, a community perspective, an individual perspective. And I think as more and more people, we see increased adoption with the technology. Um, there are a lot of questions that are unanswered and there's not enough research um, to allow us to make good decisions right now on how the technology should be shaped and how we as individuals should be integrating um, you know, the immersive technology specifically into our lives. Uh, as a psychotherapist, there are a lot of questions about the psychological implications of being fully immersed, fully present, and fully embodied in digital synthetic environments, especially from an early age. Uh, and, and what kind of questions and, and how could we mediate some of the kind of assumptions that we're making that, that might be the negative impacts of that? But how can we invest and create a system in which we develop this technology to innovate, um, protecting us from those kinds of harms in, in the considerations of our psychological, um, in, the psychological impacts of what it means to be human in the metaverse? Uh, but without limiting the possibility. So how can we how can we create frameworks that allow us to do that and understand the data, understand uh, the qualitative and quantitative feedback that's being delivered through current experiences at this emerging phase uh, and shape so that we can begin to understand how to shape the technology to improve it for society in the future uh, so that it doesn't become a dystopian future that we are all somewhat fearful of. 
I just want to echo that. I mean, Nina, that was beautifully said. I absolutely agree. We need to invest so much more money into research. Um, just to add on to that too, um, we do have frameworks, by the way, around privacy and safety for XR. XRSI does have a version one framework that we've worked with industry partners on. We're in the process of updating that to version two. And we are seeing really forward-leaning organizations adopt that framework. So UK's NHS um, has adopted it. We're working with, um, with NIST. We actually have 15... Uh, governments around the globe that are looking at the framework and adopting it in some fashion. So I'm usually the person who reigns on the parade. I also want to be able to shine, as Nina's mentioned, and say like there are options and there are frameworks that we are introducing for the industry to adopt. Yeah. And, uh, and another example of that is the independent audit of AI systems, um, which is um, a framework of governance, oversight, and accountability developed by For Humanity, a nonprofit organization out of New York. I'm a fellow and contributor to um, these audit um, schematics that help organizations comply with the law. And, uh, and part of that process is, and I, you know, I think that there are some nefarious, you know, actors in the marketplace that are just going full, full tilt. We're doing what we want to do. We're going to collect. And I would even say, all, everything has already been digitized. Um, our phones, uh, so much of our existence, our most private moments, these devices are with us in bed, in the bathroom, and in our private spaces of when we think no one's looking, someone is looking, and that data does exist. So, but at the same time, we've seen examples of this technology and the potential of it to really do some amazing things like surgeons and you know, Europe helping surgeons in South America with an incredibly difficult surgery using parts of this type of technology that otherwise wouldn't have saved that life. So cross-education and, and that sort of thing. Um, the independent audit of AI system is one example of a regulatory resource that helps organizations get on the path of compliance. We know that no organizations are there yet. And um, I too do not agree with it, with a punitive sort of perspective or, you know, the way we talk about it. It's just the reality. This is so new and it's happening so fast that we just need to help organizations get there. Uh, a big part of that is organizational change and it needs to, it's, it's top down, it's bottom up, it's middle out. And so when companies look at, you know, how do we do this responsible responsibly or how do we create trust it's what we're really talking about fundamentally is organizational change and um, I think that for companies to do it right they're going to be the winners uh, the ones who can scramble and get their stuff together <laughs> are uh, might make it but the ones who don't even bother to take a look are going to be the big losers at the end of the day so at the end of the day I do think it's in everyone's uh, interest to um, start on this path. Excellent. Oh, sorry. Christina. I was just going to add to that. I think Jody's absolutely right. And I think that we've seen lessons, even very recent ones like GDPR and CCPA and some of the other data privacy realms where people have had to uh, really go back and scramble to retroactively try and implement safety and privacy measures. And I think Jody, you're spot on, which is it's so much easier. Just do it the right way from the start. We'll be right back. The Internet Law and Policy Foundry's 2022 Policy Hackathon is the Foundry's third Policy Hackathon, 
happening this October 14 through 16. The Policy Hackathon is a three-day event that brings together creative technical and policy professionals from around the world to tackle emerging and long-standing problems related to the intersection of law, policy, and technology. The theme of this year's hackathon is privacy, trust, and safety in the metaverse. Additionally, the Foundry is holding a writing competition and a series of virtual events about all things metaverse. For more information about the hackathon, the writing competition, and other hackathon-related events, you can visit the Foundry's website, ilpfoundry.us, or our social media pages. You know, we're, we're going to move to some some slightly darker and, you know, more thought-provoking, I guess, questions next. I'm going to sort of frame this as a two-parter. Um, the first part of this is, you know, as we all know, and as we've all been reading, there are a lot of, you know, reports of sexual harassment in the metaverse, you know, and it, it seems like, you know, virtual platforms are not doing enough to protect their users. So what what's the what's the story here? You know, that that's one one of it, one part of it. Um, and in light of all of that, uh, I'm also curious to know, do you think, you know, children should be, I mean, especially uh, Nina, I would love your opinion on this, but should, you know, should children be allowed to use these immersive technologies? And, you know, what 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 is the best way to ensure this and you know why should they be allowed or why why if if they shouldn't be allowed to use these technologies then then why not so i so the two part question um maybe uh, so i had a, uh, an experience in virtual reality in a, in a in a newly what was then a newly launched platform uh, that was kind of advertised as a place to meet friends and socialize. Uh, and I had an experience of verbal sexual harassment on that platform, which I've, which was then picked up by media. And, and I think one of the reasons why it resonated was because of this fear of unknown uh, and this question of what is this that technology that is is being sold to us that we're, you know, that big tech companies are telling us that we should spend our time in, and, and these are the types of things that are happening in it. And I think just to address my experience and why I continue to kind of share and advocate about, um, share the story and advocate for change is, is that because of the impact of being fully immersed, fully present and fully embodied in a digital environment, we cannot underestimate the impact that that is going to have on, on anyone because the technology has been designed and the fidelity is increasing such that the lines between our physical biological world and the virtual digital world will be increasingly blurred. And we cannot underestimate that the technology is designed to simulate reality as much as possible. And we can't underestimate that. And so when we have a negative experience in a digital environment in a fully immersed, fully present and fully bodied setting, then the impact of it will be and can be quite traumatic and almost as though it is it happened in the physical biological world and so i shared my experience of sexual harassment which really was the tip of the iceberg in terms of the the negative behavior that's happening in the current state of the metaverse 
because we need to take action to make a change to prevent long-term trauma for children and young people and, and vulnerable communities around the world as, as more and more people enter into the metaverse. Nina, so I, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, I thought you were pausing. My, my okay. Yes, I'll just finish up. So having said that, you know, one of the reasons I shared my story was because it very could have easily been one of my four children who could have very easily picked up my headset and accessed that metaverse that day. And they could have been harassed by three male avatars. And they could have thought that that was what people do in the metaverse. And this is how we treat each other in the metaverse as being one of their first experiences because that was a very newly released platform. And, 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 and it, you know, one of the first UK users. Um, so, so just to highlight the fact that I had that experience, but I do believe that children should be able to engage with metaverse technology and that is a, is a, the rights of the child to be able to engage with technology, but free from harm, right? It's, it's possible, it's entirely possible to, to design technology so that children do not have to interact and be fearful of, of bad actors on the internet or in the metaverse. But unfortunately, we've come to a place in society where we've told our children that they have to put every piece of armor that they have before they log in online. And it's their responsibility to look behind every corner and creak through every door because it's dangerous. It's a dangerous world. That's what we've taught our children. But we have an opportunity right now to flip that and, and actually design safe metaverse playgrounds that's specifically safety by design for children. And so that they can explore, learn, and grow in environments that is that tech, in digital environments that are designed for them. And when I talk about education, I mean delivering education, bringing awe, joy, and wonder by taking field trips out to Mars, you know, elevating their educational um, journey right now. Uh, and that's entirely possible, and, and we just need to prioritize it. Nina, I'm so sorry for interrupting you earlier, um, but you hit on something that my family, I was just spending time with my brother and his uh, three small children, 14, not small, well, I guess, <laughs> moderately small children, 14, 11, and 10. And we were talking about this uh, because I was there visiting and seeing um, how much the children were spending time, like how many hours a day, you know, online and engaged in these sort of spaces to varying degrees. And this instance came up and I was talking to my nieces um, in particular about it one day and they, I think... And then later we were talking, I was talking to my brother and then my husband. And I think people have a really difficult time understanding why, for example, someone doesn't just take off their headset, right? Like when something like this is happening, it's literally the first question that I get is why don't people just take off their headset? So I actually wanted to, um, I, I know kind of like my answer, but um, I was really, really interested in, in how you would answer that question. Well, first of all, in the moment, the, the psychological, physiological response is to say, why is this happening? What, what is happening right now? What did I do wrong? Am I in the wrong place? Did I look in the wrong direction? Everything that was trained to me as a human being in the real world, I assumed that I did something wrong to attract this behavior. So let's just acknowledge that although technology has adapted and evolved over, over the last hundred years, humans have essentially remained the same. And our physiological response to any sort of trauma is fight, flight, or, or freeze, right? And in my moment, I froze. 
you know, legitimately I, I was being attacked in a virtual world and I froze. So my first response wasn't to, to take my headset off. My first response was, why is this happening? And what did I do wrong? Right. And so, and I, you know, I'm a psychotherapist. I'm trained. I, you know, co-founded company. And this is happening to me. And I responded that way. So you think about the whole entire world responding to negative or positive experiences in the, in the metaverse as though they are human. Right. And so, of course, in the end, I took off my headset. That was the only way to end this experience because the perpetrators were relentless and were not going to stop the experience. But why is it incumbent upon me as the victim to take off my headset to end the experience? Why is it acceptable for people to treat anyone badly in the metaverse? And then why am I the one accused of, of just not taking off my headset and, and being ridiculous to even suggest that this is possibly something that shouldn't be happening? Right. So yeah. I think I, this uh, exemplifies um, when talk about these harms and the, these digital environments is it's not like um, they are basically what's happening is we're taking what's already broken and structuralized in many ways in society. And now we have this like technology that is exponentially increasing these harms in these virtual environments and in these virtual environments, especially ones created with decentralized biology, you do not have the place. There is no law and order. And I think, you know, then that opens up the discussion about um, where do these privacy and trust control standards and controls come in then? Um, if, if organizations haven't implemented them, you know, from the beginning, then whose responsibility is it ultimately like how do we get there so that things like this don't happen to people like you and um, I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable and opening up and sharing your experience and I think on top of that Jody I would um not just say thanks you know for sharing that experience I think it's a, an important one and one that I unfortunately very unfortunately it's not unique we've heard about quite a few folks that have been attacked and in the virtual reality. And unfortunately, I think as a society as a whole, we tend to default to victim shaming, right? When that's really not what should be the goal or the center of this conversation, right? It should not be about like, why did you take off your headset? Or why did you go there in the first place? You know, why do I walk down my street? Because I have an expectation of safety. I might not do it two in the morning because it's not as safe as it is at noon. But again, it's not my fault if I get attacked by somebody who's out there attacking, nor should I be the one held accountable, which I think goes back also to the notion of like, well, we have a six foot bubble. Why don't you just turn on your six foot bubble? Like the six foot bubble is not enough. Like that is not where the accountability, responsibility, safety actually need to end. We do though have the standards. And I want to keep coming back to this because there's several things that I hear continuously when we talk about the metaverse. One of them is we don't have standards. That's actually not true. We do have the XRSI safety and privacy standard that's available and open to organizations. We've been working with a lot of different entities, including Meta's XR lab in terms of how to implement that. So we are starting to see organizations paying attention. I think you're absolutely right, Jody. The moment that you think you have a product or a service that's going to touch the metaverse, that's the time to start implementing it. It's not after the fact retrofitting doesn't work. It's costly. 
financially. It doesn't make any sense economically. And it's not a trusted approach. We already know that. We've been through that ring of morale several times. Um, so I want to say that. And then in terms of, you know, responsibility, I think everybody needs to share in the responsibility for trust and safety in the metaverse. And we need to get that right. One of the things that everybody does is talk about big tech. Yes, big tech has historically encouraged or at least highlighted. How about this? Highlighted, if not encouraged, bad behavior online. In reality, big tech alone is not to blame. We need big tech solutions. We need everyday organization solutions. We need NGO solutions. We need like the UN to be talking more about human rights in the metaverse. What does that constitute? What does that mean? Because not only do we have corporations jumping into the metaverse, we also have you know the government of Barbados saying, we're gonna open up an embassy in the metaverse. Good for you, but now the government's getting involved. When is the time to start actually having a police unit in the metaverse, back to your point, Jody, right? Just like we have in our physical world, do we need those infrastructure and social presence aspects in the metaverse? And I would argue yes, right? Because of all the bad potential harms. But we also have to start thinking about how do we educate? You know, I always look at this from a very child-centric perspective because I have a teenager in my house. And I remember saying to him when he was 11, no, I'm sorry, you can't have access to Instagram. And it almost blew my mind when he decided to open up an Instagram account when he turned 12 without me knowing or proving it. And I ultimately could not ground him. I wanted to desperately. I was like, dude, you're going to be grounded for weeks. But he came to me and he said, mom, I shouldn't have opened it when you said not to, but I opened it up an Instagram account. I used the school computer in the library, so it's not tying it back to my own IP. I didn't use my real uh, name. I didn't actually give my location. I didn't front anybody I know. I'm only following celebrities so that there's no way of tracking it back to me. I used my fake email address, and I didn't put my real birth data in. I also didn't upload any photos that would have actually had metadata embedded in them. And so I'm looking at this kid going, oh, I see. I'm the digital policy you know, Sherpa. You've actually been listening to me because I've been educating you. This is the same kid that's come home to me and said, hey, Loudoun County Public Schools, where I go to school, has a privacy problem. My unique student ID is also my public email address. It's also what I use to pay for my cafeteria food. That is a problem because it's a unique identifier tying all of my data together, right? So it's not that he's a lawyer, you know, he's, he's 13, but he understands digital privacy. He understands policy, understands safety. And so we have to teach that because amongst our friends, I find that most parents don't talk like that to their children. They don't enable their children to understand. And you're absolutely right, Nina. We shouldn't have to really have a unsafe opportunity. But guess what? The world has always been unsafe. Unsafe from alcohol, unsafe from drugs. We've always had to teach children how to drive, how to do things in this world, how to keep themselves safe. This is an extension of that. And so I believe that as a society, we share responsibility. Government has regulatory obligations. Corporations have their obligations. But at the end of the day, what we can't do is shirk responsibility to educate our children, start it at home, start it in the schools. And I fundamentally don't believe that just saying we're going to create a little bubble for the children right over here is going to solve the problem. And I don't believe that because my son got beat up three times on the playground and it wasn't by, by adults. Right. So I think the same human behavior that happens on the playground is going to happen in these spaces. And I think what we have to do is be proactive in privacy, safety where we can, adopting interoperability, getting those standards dialed in, but also making sure that we're holding everybody, including ourselves, accountable, because without each one of us acting as a citizen, we're not going to get there. And so that's why in December of last year on the Human Rights Day, 73rd Human Rights Day, XRSI launched MRC, the Metaverse Oversight Board. And the entire goal of the MRC, which, by the way, is an oversight, global oversight board formed by the citizen, 
is to include citizens in all of the conversations. So if you want to create a service or a tool or a product for the metaverse, come to us, ask for the citizen input and perspective. Try to understand stories like Nina's that are not unique, unfortunately, and start to plan for how do you prevent that? Because the next environment in the metaverse should ensure that it takes into consideration Nina and everybody else's story so that that can be thwarted against and not actually have a situation where she has to either re-experience that again, or somebody has to have that same experience. It's just not fair and it's not right. And of course, it's against everything we stand for from a human rights perspective. Oh, Nina, did you wanna add something? Well, I was just gonna add, um, we build playgrounds for children in the real world you know, places, safe spaces that they can engage, they can take risks, they can explore, they can, you know, learn about themselves and about each other in playgrounds in the real world. And if we're talking about the metaverse as the digital twin, as this place of converging of the physical and the virtual world, and I do think we need to create areas that are specifically made for children so that they can learn and take those risks in safe environments. And they could learn together as children. And so in the context of this new world in which the digital and the physical world are, are synergizing and coming together, then I do think we need to design areas that are specifically made for children because they could be magical, wonderful playgrounds that bring to life and unlock their imaginations. And it's a unique opportunity. This is one of the beautiful things about the technology is that we can do this. And it's incumbent upon us to design safe areas for children as we do with playgrounds to un unlock their imaginations and deliver educational outcomes as well, bring education into the 21st century. So there's no reason why technology cannot be put into the hands of educators and parents to, to ignite imagination and bring education to life. So just wanted to add that. <laughs> and, and, and on this point, just building on what both of you have touched upon, is this model of shared responsibility that I'm hearing more and more sort of in the dialogue as folks like us and other people begin, you know, speaking about this, especially from a policy standpoint. In the model of shared responsibility, there is a few assumptions that the stakeholders, including people and children and other vulnerable groups, have a, have a uh, you know, there's kind of like equal responsibility. Like there's, um, there isn't necessarily a big power differentiator. And I would like to say algorithms, AI, fakes, all these things that are happening, it is, there's no way if children are, um, you know, can be manipulated by adults, just humans in the real world, how in the world are we going to expect our children to, you know, assume responsibility when they're being manipulated by very sophisticated algorithms and not even children, but humans. We, I mean, do, do we need to like, there's so many recent examples, but you know, the disinformation campaigns and by the way, um, yes, it is. I do think that these tech platforms bear a, a large and should assume much more of the risk that has been socialized to society. Right. 
in addition, we have actors and someone asked a question about um, uh, 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 rogue states and, you know, other people using this technology to direct our future action and thoughts, right? In particular situations, maybe having relating to, to the elections or the way that we see um, other different groups of people or even this narrative about what it means to share responsibility and you know well I think that is it sounds good we, we always have to remember what we're dealing with here and that is very very sophisticated technology that um, is now we're getting to the point we can't even tell the difference what is technology and what is real people in these digital spaces and um, the model of shared responsibility I feel like should really be more between be first and foremost between big tech and regulatory authorities to make sure that um, they are creating a space where then we can, um, you know, assume the portion of responsibility that is proportionate to our power in this situation. I agree with you in theory, Jody. Um, as in, I really want to hold, and I do hold regulators accountable um, and actually I support them and work with them day in and day out to help them adopt safety and privacy by design for emerging technologies into their laws. In fact, uh, the eSafety Commissioner of Australia, Julie Monk-Brandt is wonderful and got that actually passed into law in Australia. So we're very uh, proud of her, but I'm just a little bit reserved when it comes to that because talking to folks on the hill especially it's very discouraging to me because most of the senators and the congress people that i speak with are not versed in the technologies that are making up the metaverse and they can't get ahead of what big tech is doing and so i think they absolutely must embrace and play their role i don't think that without regulations and laws we can have a truly safe and trustworthy metaverse, because if that was the case, we would already be safe and trustworthy in Web 2.0 and we're not, right? So nobody's just willingly coming to the uh, dance on this one. Um, but I do wonder how we're going to get regulators to get ahead of all of this and create a place for all of us to do our portion, um, because I don't see them being able to get that far ahead as quickly as they need to. I think we almost have to lead for them and show them how to get that done, which is why I believe that the, you know, MRC from an oversight perspective makes sense um, and having consumers and citizens advocate heavily and loudly is just a critical component to this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for all your thoughts. Um, sort of continuing this conversation on regulation, what is the role of new policies like the California Age-Appropriate Design Code Act that was enacted just two weeks ago or the EU Digital Services Act um, help in protecting children and, and women um, from grooming and sexual exploitation? Is, is policy enough? Do technologists need to do more than just abiding by law and policy? Yes. The answer is yes. We need so much more than regulations. I mean, you're seeing GDPR, you're seeing CCPA, you're seeing Cal OPA, um, you know, come on the heels of, you know, different regulations. And so we always introduce regulations. In the United States, we introduce regulations after we register harm. That's how the entire system is set up. If you look at the Consumer uh, Product Safety Commission, right, we decide to revoke, um, you know, lawn darts 
after we have enough incidents where people are actually throwing long darts in the air and they're falling down and hitting people and causing blindness, et cetera. So it's always we act after harm. In this instance, we're talking about the type of technologies where we have to act before harm is done. Right. I mean, just kind of going back to, I think, the story that Nina shared, how do you unsee or how do you unexperience something once you've experienced it? Right. So waiting for the harm to occur is not an option. We can't do that, which means we can't wait for regulations to come about. We do have to act on our own and we do actually have to do that ahead of time. I personally believe that Jody's spot on, which is can we actually get corporations and organizations to understand that proactively adopting standards um, right now just makes sense. It makes consumer sense. If I can go to company A because they're more trustworthy than company B to me, that's a thing. And I will put my dollars where my mouth is and go to company A. I will endorse company A. I will tell my friends about company A. So I think we need to, as consumers, demand more, expect more. Um, and honestly, that's the easiest place at this moment to move the needle, frankly, and hold them, you know, the businesses out there accountable. But again, it does have to be an ecosystem. It's not an all for nothing. And we can't just hope that regulators will, you know, write in and save the day because it hasn't happened historically and it's not going to happen now. And unfortunately, it's not going to happen potentially in time now to the devastation of many citizens because, you know, before it was a situation of like, oh, well, oops, my email address got hacked, right, or stolen, which, yeah, it's too sad, too bad, but it's not the end of the world. Stories like Nina's are the end of the world. Like that's an actual harm to a human being. It goes beyond an email address or name leaking. And so... And those harms, by the way, are just the start, right? I'm talking about harms that go beyond that, that violate human rights, that don't protect uh, victims of violence in third world countries. So we have serious human rights harms that are possible that will be happening unless we get ahead of it, but regulation is not enough. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest questions, and and I don't think anyone has the answer to how we're going to move forward in this new digital frontier. And then look, technology and the metaverse, as it always has been, is an expression of human of, of an in, inner world of a human being. And any technology, at the end of the day, is an output of a human being. And the whole point of the metaverse is being able to spend time with other human beings. Right. This is in order for the metaverse to be a compelling place for humans to spend our time, which is going, you know, is going to be whether the deciding factor of whether the metaverse is is it develops to mass adoption. Is it a place people want to spend their time? And that's the question. And that's all the questions te technology companies want want to answer, because if humans don't want to be in the metaverse, then this is all a big waste of time and money. Right. And so the question is. How is an individual human being going to be able to use this technology to improve their lives? And that is, at the end of the day, how the metaverse can be useful. And I think, I think that's going to get really messy because, as we know, the real world has, is full of significant problems and full of people expressing themselves in inappropriate ways. And we're going to see a lot of continued horror stories. And I just hope as a society um, that we can continue to build the values of individual nations that are taking on the challenge of building the metaverse or individual countries, individual um, organizations, businesses, families, communities, societies, that we all, you know, build a metaverse that reflects our values and our vision and who we want to be in the world and how we want to interact with other people in the world. And that's what it's going to come down to. 
is how we as human beings decide to behave in the metaverse. And, in, and unfortunately, that's going to take a few layers uh, of conversations on an individual level, a family level, a community level, a society level, uh, a, a nation level, and then an international community level as well. And all of those conversations need to go back and forth and push and pull. Uh, and it's going to be never ending. There's no, there's no day that this is going to be solved and we're all happy. Just like we are in the real world, it's going to be a never ending push and pull. And we're going to have to work on it from now on and forever. <laughs> And uh, I would just like to say that it's interesting when you look at the UK Children's Code and um, the new California Kids Code, um, I think the design of both of these policies is very elegant in so much as they do really follow the privacy by design um, principles, first of which is they when we analyze risk, we look at the impact of the, of, uh, to the child's um, rights and freedoms first as the, as the unit of analysis. And then we look at the data and the processing and the other risks of the system. Whereas other frameworks and, um, and uh, regulations first do a risk analysis on the system itself. And the problem with that and why those policies will be problematic is because technology is changing so quickly and there there's capabilities that we can use sexualize at the moment for most people. And to uh, Christina's point, regulators have a, have a very difficult time. Um, I think it's getting better understanding exactly what we're, the nuances of what we're talking about. Um, just as a start, but the elegant design of these regulations by centering the impact to rights and freedom of children, and we can even say if we wanted to do to humanity first and foremost, means that theoretically speaking, any technology that comes has to do that first and that, that analysis first and foremost, they're going to be a lot more uh, resilient to emerging technology than some other regulations and frameworks that don't do the unit of analysis with regard to risk at the human level, first and foremost. Thank you so much for your input. Um, we are slowly getting towards the end of our conversation. So I quickly wanted to ask, um, the Internet Law and Policy Foundry is a professional development fellowship for early to mid-career individuals who are passionate about a lot of these issues that we're talking about today. So how might our fellows and audience members try and get involved in advocating for the issues we discussed today or help advance the work that you're all doing? I, mine is very simple. Head over to Metaverse Safety Week. Um, Metaverse Safety Week will be held in December from the 10th to the 15th. Um, we do this every year. It's our third year in a row. Uh, we have five different themes for five different days from human rights, children's online safety, um, whether it's just in AR, VR, or in the metaverse as a whole. Uh, we're talking about um, privacy, safety, and considerations in the media and design and the arts. Uh, we're focusing one day on policy, trust, and governance. Uh, we're also talking about medical XR on one day. So lots of opportunities to share, educate, get involved. 
I'll learn from others. I know somebody had a question about where can we learn more, where can we get training, et cetera. Um, definitely, I say, you know, come to Metaverse Safety Week. There will be policy makers, regulators from around the world. Uh, we're going to have experts in their domains from all over the place. You can see who's already in the lineup. And I think most importantly, we're going to have citizens involved as well. And all of us obviously have a day job, I'm assuming, um, or maybe you're going to school, but we are also citizens. And so everybody should be participating, um, learning, but also sharing. And